2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: Welcome to the DFO Rundown podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com.
4: Welcome to episode 199 of the DFO Rundown. Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli. After uh, the weekend, i have had some time to, uh, maybe in the case of Frank, get some sleep, relax, and uh, analyze the uh, the trade deadline. Of course, the busiest lead-up in NHL history, the most amount of trades. It was uh, significant. Lots of uh, big players, lots of draft picks
5: moved. Uh, Frank,
4: first of all, uh, how was your uh, first post-trade deadline
5: weekend? It was good. I told my kids, uh, Friday at four o'clock when they got home after we wrapped up our four hour live stream with Tyler steering the ship as our captain, fantastic job by him. Uh, I told them, Hey, you guys got your dad back, which is kind of sad on a number of levels, but is also the truth because I've been MIA the last, uh, six to eight weeks, just absolutely engrossed in trade deadline, missing a bunch of things and events. And, uh, Happy to sort of uh, have a life again, which is great. And it also coincides with uh, our hockey season wrapping up on Saturday. So in a lot of ways, feel I like, uh, feel like I got a lot in front of me now. Nice. Yeah, we're still
4: in the playoffs for the kids. I love the hockey. It's fun. Uh, well, it's playoffs all around for lots of different levels, Junior A and Major Junior, NHL now. The uh, push to the uh, playoffs, and uh, we'll get to some of those teams Um
5: Before we do that, I I got to tell you that episode 199 is presented by our friends at Athletic Brewing. And just because dry Jan is in the rearview mirror doesn't mean you can't keep up, can't keep the good times rolling. Join me and enjoy Athletic Brewing's award-winning lineup of craft non-alcoholic beers. It's the best trade you can make. Trust me, these brews don't lack anything. And more importantly, they don't come with the hangover use promo code Frank 20 for 20% off your first purchase at athleticbrewing.ca athletic brewing company fit for all face-offs fit for all times. And thank you to our friends at athletic brewing for uh, sponsoring our creep cam, our insider cam on Friday's uh, trade deadline edition of daily face off live. The uh, it was, there was a lot going on in that uh, love to see Tyler steering, as I mentioned, but Jay Rosehill uh we, we had to keep things on the rails at times oh yeah rosa the wild card shocking he, a bit of a, a bit of a wild card i will say that and uh, uh as as tyler can attest when we when we got to the brother trade that's when things were like Err! like it, it yeah he said something like, hey, do you think these Nick and Brett Ritchie being traded for each other? I said, that's kind of amazing. Like if they, you know, have condos or whatever, one can just move into the other. And someone had made the joke like, oh, it's the Coyotes. Like they can save on jerseys and nameplate costs now in the locker room. And, and then Rose Hill comes over the top and's like, yeah, could you imagine if these two guys are wife swappers too? We're just like Jake. Come on, man! You cannot do that. I'm I'm going like this in the uh, in the upper corner of the show. Like uh, this is the part where I actually just left. So
4: no, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it was the uh, first time ever that it happened, and you know it was an interesting. You know, you, hey, let's start with the Calgary Flames, Frank, because to me. Um, the obituary for the Calgary Flames, uh, I could write it. I, I could outline why their season has gone. I've got a few things I want to outline for for Flames fans. If they're everybody's like, well, what went wrong? It's very easy as to what went wrong. So here, number one, last year the Flames were third best in goals against average. They're 14th. They were at uh, they're a half a goal allowed more per game. Actually, just over a half 0.55 goals per game. Offensively, as a team, they've dropped from 3.55 to 306. So if you add the two numbers, Frank, that's a goal a game difference right there. Negative ratio for the Flames. And, and you get to uh, individual players. Jacob Markstrom is one of the, the big poster boys. He might be on a melt carton across Calgary. For those uh, American lists, I don't know, you know, he used to have the missing kids, unfortunately. Well, he's MIA. That's two out of three years since he signed as a free agent for Calgary. You look at his numbers. He's got an 890 save percentage. That's 37th. That's not even a starter's number. 30, and I, and by the way, I picked out for 25 games played at this point of the season. So, you know, there, and there was, I think, 40-some goalies. He's 37th. He is 43rd in shutouts after leading the league last year with nine. He has zero. Now that's a team thing and a goalie thing. He's uh, 24th in, in um, goals against average at 2.94. He was third last year. He was third in goals against average, uh, uh, save percentage last year at 9.22. He's 8.90. Think about that. That's 0.32 difference. It's one of the greatest drops I've seen from a starting goaltender from year to year. And then, obviously, he goes from uh, fourth in wins last year with 37, and now he's 29th. So, Jacob marks to be number one on your list, Flames fans, of what went wrong. And then you got a host of uh, skaters. And we talked about this at the start of the year, Frank. The Flames had four guys have career years offensively last year. Now, two of them are gone in Kachuk and Goudreau. And uh, Goudreau is not going to reach his uh, point totals again.
5: Kachuk's close. But Jonathan three, Huberdeau. Three 40-goal scorers and two 100-point scorers, the fact that you're not going to come close is yeah. on top of the Markstrom. Like, Markstrom is by far the biggest issue. But like the, the secondary, sc- not the secondary scoring, the primary scoring after that has also been an issue. Like, Jonathan Huberdeau, he was second in scoring last year, Frank.
4: He's currently 100 and 32nd second to 132nd look at Lindholm last year he was 12th in goals with uh, 42 this year he's 105th with 17. Mangia- Lindholm, is,
5: Lindholm not the problem no well he's one of the problems no uh, he's, not. He's, he's far exceeding his salary cap hit whatever you're getting from Elias Lindholm right now is gravy you think so Hundred percent. Are you kidding? Wow, when you me? Drop in, if you drop in goals by half, Elias the Lindholm at four point eight five million bucks, and he's already he's got fifty one points in sixty one games. I don't care what his drop is relative to salary cap. He's a bonanza. Okay. Well, relative to cap, but was his cap the same last year?
4: Yes. So then his production on maybe your team's expectations are and some people said, hey, you have to be realistic. Is he going to repeat that? I didn't think he would, but he's going to get somewhat close. He's going to be 70 some points. Yeah, points are there, but his goal totals and goal totals are down significantly. Right. And then uh, Kadri, now Nazim Kadri well knew like 87 points was a, was a one-time thing for him, but he's actually had a decent year. If you look at his, his point totals, but he is just, uh, he's still dropped from 19th. He's a hundredth in points. Now. He's been a minus machine. And Mangiapane has dropped from now again, another player. I was like, is he going to score 35 goals again? I said, no chance, but he's at 13. He's dropped from 29th to 171st. So your four big scores last year. I know two of them weren't on the team, but you still—that's who came. It all comes down to the two big guns. It's you got some individual guys that have been bad, specifically your goaltender, and then your team. And so here's the question, Frank: Your GM's contract expires. Do you think Tree Living opts to come back?
5: Does ownership want him back? I don't know. I don't know the answer to either question. I would imagine he wants to come back. I don't know if ownership wants him back. And I would think that based on his wider track record and the business that he got done last year, I would say yes. But I mean, hard to say, like it really is. So so if he comes back, could he bring back the head coach? That part, I I think that's the other huge problematic issue for this team this year. Yes. It's been the goaltending. Yes. At times it's been the scoring, but this team was fragile from jump street. And I think part of it is because their coach was grinding on them from the first second they stepped in. And it's almost like winning the Jack Adams last year, emboldened Darrell Sutter to to, Not that he's changed the way he's acted, but to with a team that I think needed a gentle touch, given all the different players that they brought in just to develop some chemistry. I don't know that they ever really had a chance. Yeah, that's fair. I just think he's been so far up their ass all year that I just, it's been negative, negative, negative from Jump Street. And I just, I don't know that that helps.
4: That's a valid point. And I I got the sense that maybe he was like, I got to get after these guys so we don't rest on our laurels.
5: And uh, it's backfired in in every possible way. Like Connor Mackey goes to Arizona in that trade. Like that was Daryl Sutter's whipping boy. Like literally.
4: No, oh, wow.
5: He, uh, and you know what?
4: Anytime you go after a young player, and if that's your whipping boy as a coach, it's not, it's, it's the, it's like when you're always, if your team's struggling and you only healthy scratch your fourth line guys, and that's all you change out, I don't think you get the attention of your team.
5: That was your, that was a mercy trade. Yeah. Honestly, he played two games since, since December 18th. It was a flat out mercy trade.
4: Well, he's going to get to play a lot in Arizona, so he'll probably be happy about that. They, they might not have a lot of success, but he'll yeah. Get to play. How, honestly, how
5: many players are thrilled to go to Arizona? I bet you Connor Mackey was one of them.
4: Oh, Michael Kesselring got his NHL debut. Yeah. <laughs> so Well, you, and that, from- you know
5: what? I saw some Oiler fans griping a, a little bit about Kesselring after the trade for Bugstad, and they were like, why did we have to give up this guy that scored 13 goals in the AHL this season on the back end already? And the answer is because where's he going to play the next few years anyway? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tell me where there's a hole to get him in the lineup, and I, I just don't see one.
4: No, no, not at all. And
5: and the other thing is the, the goal
4: scoring's really come out of. Um, if you look at the goals, it's not very. It's not repeatable. That's all I'm going to say. Right? It's there's like Eric Carlson's point totals. Now 100 points probably not repeatable, but is 80 points repeatable for him? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's certain elements to it, but good for him. Young player is going to get into Arizona. It's probably going to have some rough nights. No question, because you look at that roster now. Oh, my goodness. Um, although Bill Armstrong said, Frank, hey, we don't apologize. We're abiding by the rules, but <laughs> they are they're really uh, using the LTIR rules uh, to their benefit uh, when it comes to getting to the cap. Oh, I guess they're not even LTIR because they're not on LTIR. They're just on their salaries. But um, let's get to some questions, Frank, about the deadline. So let's let's start. Um, Which two teams do you feel um, had the worst or least impactful
5: deadlines for them? Any teams in the league? I'll start with the Colorado avalanche. And I preface this by saying, I still think they're, if not in the driver's seat, one of the teams in the West that can claim that they are. So take this criticism with a grain of salt, but the idea that the Avs had seven million dollars in space to use from Gabriel Landeskog being put on LTIR, and they you they first off left some on the table, which you never get back, and second, they traded for Lars Eller and overpaid and Jack Johnson. Like, look, sometimes it's not the biggest deals that you know it's not the biggest name, the biggest splash that ends up putting you over the top. I just can't imagine Lars Eller and or Jack Johnson moving the needle for this team. So that's really where my criticism comes in is they, they wake up on Monday with $4.6 million in LTIR space. That's unused. And I say, why it's not enough to activate Landis cog anyway. So why didn't you spend more? Why didn't you do more in this year that it's the last year you have Nathan McKinnon, on a $6.3 million deal before it quite literally doubles to 12.6. Don't you feel a need to, as the defending cup champs, push a little bit harder, do a little bit more to add a piece to your team that can really be impactful because I don't see either one of those players being impactful in any way. Okay. And then who's your other one? Probably the Boston Bruins. Uh, Dimitri Orlov has just looked like an absolutely perfect fit. I love Tyler no, this, Bertuzzi. Okay. Oh, sorry, no, this, this is going to be one yeah. that we like. Oh, uh, don't yeah, like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, I'm going to say. I'm going to say the Edmonton Oilers. Interesting. I why. I just think it's a lateral move going with Matthias Ekholm. Um, I, I think when you look at their deadline, it's a different stylistic fit. And I get that it's all about right now and trying to win and a piece that could help put you over the top. And that some would argue that Ekholm is the style of defender that you needed. I just felt like the cost and risk of tinkering with your power play, which it's, it's almost impossible to win in the playoffs without it. Um, I just think the risk is great. And I think the risk is great moving forward because I don't – I think the the Nashville Predators who know Matthias Eckholm better than anyone saw the writing on the wall, that they knew what they just went through with, with getting Ryan McDonough for nothing basically from the Tampa Bay lightning because of the cap and contract that McDonough has that I think in a year, 15, 18 months time that Matthias Ekholm deal is not going to age very well. And when you look at the pick, the first round pick in, um, and then also Tyson Barry, I just, I felt like it was a lot to give up and I felt like the Oilers, especially when you compare it to some other moves that were made, could have just gone in a different direction.
4: It's interesting. I've watched the Oilers. The Oilers' biggest weakness for years has been goals against, and they need a solid defender. Um, Do I think there's a risk in the length of X-Home term? Yeah, that's fair. I think uh, he's probably got two really good playoff runs this and next year, and then we'll see if if he extends it into a third. Um, As for the Oilers' power play, Tyson Berry, as good as Tyson Berry is, He was still the fourth most important
5: player on the power play. Okay. But he was one of the one or two most important players in their locker.
4: Yeah, sure. And, um, you know, so Matthias Ekholm has a good reputation there. I I would like to think your room's strong enough. You can't lose. But on ice, the order's power play – like you look in the in the three games since they went thirty one percent, which is what they were before. McDavid, Drysdale, Nugent, Hopkins they they could be the first. Well, right now they're first, second, and third in league scoring on the power play, which hasn't happened since the Penguins had Lemieux, Francis, and Yager in in ninety six. And I really don't see it changing. Like they're just so good. Um, You know, Bouchard's got a heavy shot. He's going to have to learn when to use it, I think, is the key. You don't use it all the time, but then you also can't be afraid sometimes to let it rip. Um, You're a facilitator back there. I think their power play's fine. I just think their five-on-five defensive play has been the biggest weakness in Edmonton for, I don't know, since Chris Pronger left. Like, really, since 2007, you go look at the orders. No team gives up more goals. They've always given up goals. Now, I know that it's not just one player, team defense, but he solidifies their team five-on-five five significantly where the majority of the game is played. I actually like that trade for now. I know Reed Schaefer in a first-rounder, but um, you know that first-rounder or Reed Schaefer wasn't helping the orders in the next three years, which is really, I think, their big push to, to make it. And Barry and Bouchard were too much of the same. And I like Tyson Barry. I've been a huge Tyson Barry fan.
5: Um, but I I, I I would have moved Bouchard before I moved Barry, but that's just me.
4: Yeah, there's there's cop related and age, uh, cap related, excuse me, and age factor. And I think Evan Bouchard last year showed me when you pair him with the right partner as a young player, he's a lot better. And, you know, there's lots of guys around the league where who your partner is as a blue liner can make a significant difference. And I think Evan Bouchard, we saw it with Duncan Keith. Now he's got a steady and influence in Ekholm. I actually think the trade, Will solidify their left top four, but it's also going to help Bouchard become more comfortable, like he was last year.
5: Okay. What about you? Who were the two teams or trades that you didn't like? Well, the one t- the Philadelphia Flyers. You got like how you
4: didn't trade James Van Reams, like when everybody knew you were trying to trade him. To me, that's I know you weren't going to get a, you probably weren't getting a first rounder, Frank, but you're getting nothing. And like, if I'm JVR, my the only reason I'm re-signing in Philly is because they're going to pay me more than someone else in the free agent market. So to me, I think as a bottom team, that's kind of a, a lost opportunity. Um, I, j- I just felt like they, they really bottomed out and essentially got nothing from And uh, I thought we you know, were like, kind of looking
5: playoff teams. Like, oh, no, I, I, said, could, I could pick on a bunch of teams that sort of didn't, I don't think really helped themselves that much. Like, I would yeah. include the San Jose Sharks in that group too. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and that's fair. And
4: then to me, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, um, I like Goss' Bear. I, I want to quibble with both of your picks. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, um, Shane Goss' is going to help their power play. No question. Right. And so when you look at Carolina, that's good. Um, you talk to me, it's the similar reason why you felt Colorado didn't maximize their cap space. Carolina is going to put, yes, will play $3 million and he's going to start on their fourth line. I'm not sure that's the best use of 3 million for this year. I think that's a contract that has a little bit it. of buying, buying in the future potential, which he'll sign for probably 1.2. And I think the, the long-term effects of that trade have much more impact than this year. But here's the thing about Carolina at some point, I think Carolina has to, has to make a, a big significant move. They're good. They're always really good, but they've never been good enough to win when it matters. And I don't believe that these deals are going to help them win when it matters
5: which okay. is the playoffs. Let's start with the James Van Riemsdijk situation. And I think my, my read of the situation is the Flyers misread the market. Yeah. That if they were going to move him, which everyone knew they wanted to, it needed to be done 10 days ago. Fair. And my understanding is the ask from the Flyers for a while was two picks. They wanted a second and a third, something in that neighborhood. And they, they simply overcooked the market that waiting until Friday to make that move, um, I, and, and I don't care what he went for, whether it was just a third or just a fourth, not moving him at all is a failure, and waiting until Friday. It wasn't the players that were left, and it's not really a knock on James Van Riemsdyk. It's actually, there's also a bit of an indictment here on the rest of the league that they weren't creative enough to pull off a John Klingberg-type trade, and get this guy who is a a significant net front presence on your team for next to nothing. But the issue the Flyers ran into is there were teams that made so many moves, they didn't have any space left. And I don't just mean cap space, I mean on their roster. Teams ran out of their need for players. And that's the issue that the Flyers did not properly identify. Now, with the Carolina Hurricanes... I'm going to totally disagree. Guess which team in the NHL has the best record since January 11th? Approaching two months now. Yeah. The Carolina Hurricanes. I agree. And they identified one player and one player alone that they felt was a true difference maker, and that was Timo Meyer. They made a massive offer that I actually believe at the end of the day is better than what the San Jose Sharks got, and it will be fascinating to watch. Now, once that player was off the board, they said, we don't see anyone else here that's worth giving up our future assets for. And I love that they drew a line in the sand. And instead of chasing their tail, like every other team in the NHL seems to do, you know, go back to uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs a couple of years ago. Oh, we didn't get the pieces that we want. We're going to pivot to Nick Felino because we feel like we still need to trade first round picks. You get in trouble every time when you do that. You have to set a plan with process and stick to it. The Carolina Hurricanes, once Timo Meyer was out, they said, "Well, we have ten million dollars in space. It's a luxury. Let's take a couple. Let's take a couple no-risk bets. Yes, a pulli RV for free." We can stick him on our fourth line. We can try and find him uh, some time with Sebastian Ajo to see if they can recreate some of the magic that they had at World Juniors. And if it doesn't work out, well, we gave up nothing to get him and we can just let him walk in the summer as, as a UFA if, if we really don't want to qualify him, which they won't. Or they can renegotiate and keep him. It's an asset that they can actually hang on to if they like it, if they like him. And then Shane Gossespierre is a 50-point defenseman that they added for next to nothing. So you take the best team in the league for almost the last 60 days and you add a 50-point defenseman and a free shot on your fourth line who at the very beginning of last season looked like he might have been something. And I don't, I'm not a Jesse Pogliarvi believer, so don't think that I'm changing course on that. But once there were no difference makers, I love that they just said, nah, this ain't for us. We're not going to spin our wheels trying to, to throw away futures for this. We think our team's good enough just as it is. And I would agree. Well,
4: we'll see in the playoffs because to me, regular season winning and playoff winning is just different.
5: And uh, go back to what their owner said on my pod, frankly speaking. We view the Stanley Cup playoffs as each round being a series of seven coin flips. The best team doesn't win in the playoffs. And well, that's that's nice. You know what?
4: That's a really nice thing to say when you don't win. Is, is Tampa Bay not being the best team? Like, Tampa Bay's been in three Stanley Cups. Are people saying they're not the best team? I'm like, I'll disagree with that strongly. Was Colorado not the best team in the league last year? They were, that's they not love. what the
5: last 10 years have shown you in the NHL. That's the opposite of what the last 10 years have shown you. Those well, are outside of the Outside
4: of the Blues, which other teams, like, Pittsburgh was good, Washington wow. was good. No, Pittsburgh
5: and Washington were not anywhere near the best teams in the league the years that they won. Not anywhere near it. They were the two and three seeds as they met each other in the playoffs in the Metro. Yeah. Well, the best team doesn't always have to be the most points, right? I just look at, but the point is their, their process of building. And we talked about this is give yourself a 10 year window, a 10 year run. The caps won two president's trophies and then one with a roster. That was not their best. The St. Louis blues had 110 point teams in the early 2010s, mid-2010s, and won nothing, and then finally broke through in a year when they didn't have their best team. And in fact, we're the last place team in the NHL in January. It's entirely random winning in hockey. So are they looking at it incorrectly? I guess in 10 years from now, if they don't win one, then we'll say yes. But right now, I think the data is strongly supporting their argument.
4: Yeah, well, we'll see. That's uh, I just felt like with all that cap space, um, I understand, Hey, the yes, i RV bets. There's no risk to it. And, um, I just felt Who would like, you, were, okay.
5: So let's, let's, let's spin the conversation forward. Who would you have traded for once they didn't get Timo Meyer? Answer your well, own I, question.
4: I said, Patrick Kane would have been my next option to look at.
5: Is Patrick Kane going to go to Carolina? Did they make a I, pitch? Like, I don't I don't think he would ever even consider going there. But that's just yeah. me. Yeah, and that's and that's
4: possible. But for a year, and hey, Kane, Kane's the wall card, but definitely I, I think you would at least have to to find out because after Timo Meyer, I I think we'd all agree he was the next The deal best with Patrick player. Kane was
5: actually just FYI was actually cooked before the Timo Meyer trade. Yeah. Timeline wise. Yeah. Like Timo
4: Meyer. Like San Jose, you bring up a great point why they didn't uh, take that supposed offer that was better from Carolina. It's that'll be one where, you know, you'd like the inside book as to what they made that choice. I know they're
5: really high in the defenseman, but, you know, we'll see. I I, I was shocked to hear Mike Rear acknowledge publicly that they seem to value the quantity over quality.
4: Yeah. Wow. Well, I look at the Mikey Esamon trade. If we're, if we're looking at – Mikey Esamon came in on waivers for San Jose that you got for nothing. You played him in your top six. You played him on your special teams. You seemed to clearly like him. And then you traded him essentially for a fourth-round pick because he's, he's, a, he's a pending group six free agent. He's never had that opportunity in his life. Are you telling me he wouldn't
5: want to re-sign in San Jose? And you were playing him in your top six. And, and then once they traded Nemesnikov, then they told teams, sorry, we're not trading any of our other forwards because we only have 11 left. Yeah, like it was, that was strange to me. So, anywho, let's move on
4: to who we like. Who are, Now, we have two different categories here. We have who you like for the trade deadline and then who you like long-term. So give me your two best for kind of this year
5: teams that you liked. Boston Bruins, um, Dmitry Orlov, Bobby Orlov has been ridiculous. Like that fit has been crazy good. Um, and, and I love Tyler Bertuzzi, just Brad Marsh and light to add another player like him to your roster. Um, and then have the ability if you want, once you're, you, you have some guys moving out, could you potentially resign him? I doubt it, but it's at least worth a look or a consideration depending on how well he fits. And I, I've, I've really liked and valued Garnet Hathaway and all that he brings. So the injuries for Boston might be of some concern or consideration uh, with Taylor Hall and Nick Felino out for a bit. But that team has been an absolute buzzsaw, and I, I just don't see them going anywhere. I, in fact, I see them as much better now than they were three weeks ago. Uh, and the other team that I sort of like right now, um, hmm. I'm going to say the New York Rangers right now I like them I don't know that I like the moves for the long term given what they gave up Um, but for right now that top six is absolutely lethal and if they can just find a way to defend better they're going to be a way better team I just think that they probably could have used a little bit more balance instead of Tarasenko and Kane go one of those two and then try and add a defenseman if you can but That's sort of the way I look at it. And right now, I just think they're. it's hard to argue against them being as well-positioned as anyone in the Metro. I agree with you 100% on Boston. And the the move really, the
4: first trade, of course, with Orlov and Hathaway, I thought was an excellent move for them. It strengthened their team. It just made them better. And uh, then they had to pivot because I don't think Bertuzzi was going to be – coming to Boston if Hall and Felino don't get injured this past week. I, I think that's totally fair. They wouldn't have the cap space to do it, mm-hmm. but they decided we're not wasting it. And some would say, Hey, that's the only first rounder, Frank, I think for a pending UFA, a lot of the other first rounders for guys with term or Timo Meyer, who's an RFA. So you still have his rights. Right. So I think they decided we're going for it. And I, I go, go back to, to, to Carolina. Oh yeah, Carolina. You're right. I was thinking about like the, the week leading up to trade deadline. And, um, but good point on Tarasenko. I look at whatever the package Carolina had for Timo Meyer Frank, I'm like, I would have thrown in an extra draft pick to get him. Because as you said, he was the best player available of, of any forward group, I think. and That's why I, I like that move for the long term. Oh, that's what like, I, I I think they're late. the
5: clear winner for long term.
4: Yes, it's not even close. So I have Boston. And then the other team I have, Frank and... For, for playoff team, uh, you know, I kind of have two because I had to pick one team that isn't a playoff team because I thought what they did was amazing. But I actually like what Toronto did. Toronto's a team that has struggled defensively at times. And uh, Jake McCabe for two million bucks that's going to help you this year, but it's also going to help you uh running forward. Ryan O'Reilly, I like Noel Achari, there's lots of teams that are really interested in him. I like a lot of their additions, so um, they had to change some things. I know that you can't solve goaltending, but there was no goaltending option. So when people yeah. argue with oh, what about their goalie? I'm like, name a goalie that was like, is Corpusallo better than Sam Sonoff? No. So I didn't think there was any other option. So I actually like what Toronto did because they had to revamp it and we'll get into it, but they might've got
5: a huge break here with the Hedman potential injury. We'll have to see what that is because I didn't look great yesterday, Yeah, but they also got ding themselves. Cause it sounds like Ryan O'Reilly's going to miss some time with that hand. Yeah, but his – but, you know, hand injury, like, he'll miss three weeks. I think he'll be back. Hedman,
4: man, that looked like a hip – something that's just – the way he went down and stayed down, like, ugh, I never liked seeing those injuries. And we saw yeah. what happens at Tampa when Hedman's hurt and can't
5: play in the playoffs. So so neither one of us picked L.A. with the Gavrikov-Corpus Alo deal. I don't like that either. But- neither one of us picked Minnesota, which I thought they might have made the best value trade – of the weekend uh, of the deadline period with Corpus Allo or not Corpus Allo Klingberg, another K um, yeah. getting him at the last minute for a fourth round pick. Like what's Dude, the I risk?
4: Just, I said it before. I think John Klingberg is a prime, prime candidate for somebody who's going to bounce back and just needs a new lease on life. Now I
5: do want to add let's one. Just, other let's, so let's just say, uh, yeah, before you do that, let's just say Klingberg is no better than what he's shown this year. Why isn't that worth a fourth round pick? Oh yeah, no, it's totally
4: fair. I, I don't. I think it's a great value p- value play for them, although they traded away Greenway, which like obviously they don't like him. But hey, Bill Guerin, whatever he's been doing there is it He's working. a
5: reclamation project. Yeah, that I I, I, that I I think the Buffalo Sabers. I like that they did something, but I think they way overpaid. Yeah, yeah. for a second, it, let's say well, okay. So let's let's flip the scenario a little bit. Let's say Jordan Greenway is five eleven or six foot and he has the same production at two goals and four assists for six points, with two more years on that deal at $3 bucks, teams would be forcing you to pay a second-round pick to trade that contract. How you no, get a fair. second and a fifth. Like, I just, it, it seemed to me, and I know Buffalo had extra second rounders, and I, I get that there's a relationship here between Don Granado and Jordan Greenway going back to the U.S. National Development Program. That part of it makes sense. And he. I, I also identified the Sabres super early in the process of, of being a team that for Jordan Greenway made sense. He could be your Kyle Ocpozo replacement, a guy that, you know, as Ocpozo is, is, trending towards free agency, um, he, when you think of Oposo at his best, was, you know, ferocious in there, using his body, all those things. Greenway can do that, but he hasn't shown any ability to do it on a consistent basis. So he gets a new lease on life. I just don't know that I love the, the price paid to do it, given like if this waited until the summer and Greenway didn't play any better and didn't do anything in the playoffs, I think Minnesota would have had to probably pay to move him
4: that's yeah, it. Now, the one team I do want to add, though, the Nashville Predators. I got to give them props for all of the picks that they acquired there. Um, now, I do wonder, do they go full rebuild here? But they got a lot of picks to try to package up some stuff. And I like Tanners, you know, a lot. But you, you're still playing the odds there with all those picks. To think. So who ha- who did the best job selling the Preds, the Blues, or the Caps? Preds and Blues are tight, man. I like both of them, but I'm gonna. G- I guess because draft picks, Frank, um, sometimes quantity for that um, will will work. I don't like. It's funny. I don't like qual- I don't like quality of prospects. But draft picks, if you trust your scouting, um, now Nashville. Do I think they're going to land some good defensemen? Probably. That's historically what they do. Now, can they find some forwards? That's another. Uh, that's another debate. But they've always been able to draft really good defensemen. That's that's their forte. So maybe they'll reload on some D men in this year's
5: draft or the next few years. I I like it for St. Louis way better the Preds got one extra first round pick this year and it's the Oilers. The blues have two additional first round picks this year. And I, I just think with a historically deep draft, like you've really increased your odds. I know it's the Rangers and, and Leafs, but with their own pick as well, like I, I just think they can either keep all three and draft some good players or, we've talked about this before with Doug Armstrong. He can take some of those picks and package them to get immediate help for this team. I, it's an envious enviable place to be, isn't it? No, oh, it is now. So who are your two winners for the future? Uh, well, we just talked about one in the New Jersey devils. I just think yeah. they're so well positioned Timo Meyer provided that you resign him, which I'd imagine going in eyes wide open, knowing what he's going to cost that they will. Um, the The tough part is he's going to rewrite their cap picture a bit for forwards because he's likely going to get more than Jack Hughes. Um, and that's fine because they're buying pure UFA years instead of RFA years like Hughes. Um, but I, I love it from the Devils' perspective, and I would say the other team for the future, um, I'm going to say, hmm. I'm struggling on this one. I'm gonna say maybe the Kings. I know Corpusalo and Gavrikov are both pending UFAs, but they didn't they didn't give up a ton. Like, yeah, their first round pick, but like they kept all their prospects. I, I just think they're in a great spot moving forward too. I don't know. Uh, it's hard. To, uh, it's Ga- maybe is the sense. Gabrikov what about the
4: is Ga- Well, I
5: have the sense. That's it. Mind. I'm changing mine to the sense. There you go.
4: Yeah. yeah no, This the sense to me, I think, you know, you, A, you never had to give up nearly as much as what was being reported for a long time out oh. of Arizona. And uh, J- Jacob Chikrin, the only, the only caveat is, does he stay healthy? But if he stays healthy, Frank, I, I have no I have no qualms that for the next few years he is really going to help that team. Uh,
5: there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, was your stomach in your throat when he went down in the first game at Madison Square Garden? Like, not <laughs> only did he go down, but was down on all fours for a while and really seemed to be shaking off that knee. Like yeah. I was like, oh, man. Could you imagine first game in a Sens uniform and that's what happens? Yeah, wow.
4: It would. I, I do think that that was always part of the concern for opposing teams a little bit because when you're injured that often, you just wonder. And so, hey, maybe maybe he's trained like I, you know. Here he trains like I just you know what these intense. He's training. an animal. Sometimes you're not necessarily doing it the best way with, you know, they've learned that, you know, sometimes less is more in training and stuff like that. So, well, we'll see, but when healthy, I I think he's going to add a lot and you know, Hey, don't, and it's not even for the future. The Ottawa senators, they're right in the race. All I was just going to ask you like, they're right in the race now. Now they got a tough stretch here, road games. I think they were starting Friday. They had like nine out of 13 on the road. And so that's going to make or break their season. But you know what? They're a team that's, you know, they got kind of that youthful naivety that the coaches will talk about sometimes. and I don't think they sense the pressure. They're just excited about it. And then they got Claude Giroux, who's in his hometown. He's a veteran. He's come up big here in some most some very important games recently. I just, I don't know if they'll make it. They're in tough because the Islanders seem to have got going. Pittsburgh, I know people in Pittsburgh, some people hate them, but uh, their moves. But, hey, the Penguins want to win. They got Crosby and Malkin. I actually like what they did in Granland. I like that addition of Granland I think he's a really good player. So, um,
5: I don't mind the Pittsburgh moves as much as everybody else, but I think so, that makes it really hard in Ottawa. So four teams for two spots, Islanders, Pens, Sabres, and Sens. Are we, are we willing to say the Panthers and caps are out? Caps for sure.
4: Uh, the Panthers, like I still can't count them out just yet. Obviously, the games played is what hurts them, but I still think they have enough talent that they, they could easily go on some stupid run here and win like 12 out of 17 or 18 games.
5: Like, it wouldn't shock me. So the Panthers are on pace for 87 points, so they need to make up about 9 yeah. Oh, yeah. They gotta.
4: They gotta go in a huge run. Like they got the obviously the worst odds, no question about it. But you know the Sens are sometimes the Sens right are just, on pace
5: for 90. They're on a roll.
4: They're on a roll right now, and that's you know it's, sometimes you can just ride that for for quite a while.
5: So. Sens on pace for ninety. Sabers on pace for ninety one. And you've got the pen. Uh, the Islanders would be eighth by points percentage, so they are on pace for. 91.
4: Yeah. Like so it might be right a, an
5: almost historically low pace to get in. Yeah. Or somebody gets hot, which I suspect might happen. Actually, the, uh, the Sabres are in this morning by points percentage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and see the greenway trade, Frank, I actually, I think that's
4: one where Don Granado, look at what he's done in Buffalo. Um, there was a lot of people that were like, Oh, the Sabres are not dude. They didn't make moves. And, and he, he really seems to know how to connect with the young players, oh, which is hard 100%. to do.
5: And but, but would I'm, you have paid a sec? I guess if you trust your coach and you trust his opinion, then you say, you know what? We've got an extra one this year. Let's go yes. do it. Well, that's why I said the deadline. I felt Buffalo had to do something.
4: And you know what? They had all these picks. They're not all going to pan out. You don't need them all. So um, I liked, I actually like that Greenway bet. Um, you know, sure, it could come back and haunt them, but I think there's a really good chance that there's a guy who, who connects with the coach, and you talked about Greenway's size. You're bang on, Frank. If he was a smaller forward, it wouldn't happen, but he's not. And when you have that size and potential, you're always going to get second, third, fourth chances. It just yep. always happens.
5: There's something there. We know there yes. is. We saw it in Minnesota. I just... The only question is, was it worth a second and a fifth? That's my only yeah. thought. Like the, I think given it the me contract per- that's attached to it.
4: Yeah. Me personally, I would take the, the risk for, it, right. It's like Carolina. I think the yes. I'll play RV bet because he's probably going to resign for 1.2 million. It's
5: going to be a good bet. Long-term. I just didn't like it for this year is all. So there were some teams that had really weird deadlines. We just talked about the penguins and I'm with you. I actually don't mind the grandlet acquisition uh, but we touched briefly on the sharks. We didn't really touch on the Jets. And the Kraken were were they did they know it was a deadline or no? Well, Ron Well, that's Ron Francis. He's
4: he's patient. Some would say he's too patient, right? Carolina fans would probably say, Yeah, he was too patient.
5: Like at some point too patient or overvalues all of his own players? Well, a bit of both. That's fair. And then, the, what were the Ducks doing? Oh, dude. Yeah, well, that's a, the Ducks. The ducks, and we talked about the Flyers. Not entirely certain what the Coyotes are doing. Like, we know what they're doing, but their execution was not very good. What about the Canucks? What would you make of their deadline? Oh, yeah, that was another weird one. Um, I it's so here's what we're trying to do we're trying to grade something that's happening on the fly that is not a complete picture yet so like on the surface what has happened to this point like they deserve like a d or an f but we don't know the what's the end like what does the end picture look like like what is the end game And until we see that, I don't know that it's fair to really properly grade because if the goal is to retool it and on the fly, like they've said has been the goal, like if you're not, if you're frustrated with what's happened to this point, you're not listening. They're telling you what they're doing. Yeah. You can disagree with their
4: plan, but to me, and, and I actually agree with their plan. They've got too many high-end skill players to go in full rebuild. They can't do it unless you want to trade Elias Patterson and Hughes, unless you want Demko, right? Like the Demko rumors never made sense. Like other than for LA to acquire him, I get why, but, um, even for goalies, you don't
5: get enough for them. Why would you trade? Like why would the, why would the Preds trade Soros? Like you don't get enough for a high-end goalie.
4: Yeah. Although I would overpay for Soros. I'm just putting that out there. Okay. But so, um,
5: so like, the Canucks add a difference maker in Philip Aronik and it's at an expensive cost. But if the goal is to accumulate as many players, 25 and under that are impact players, well, then you got one.
4: Yeah. I, I, and honestly, Frank, I don't know if it was that much of an overpay. What are the chances? I don't, of that- I don't, it's not
5: an, it's not that it's an overpay. The issue is that you also now are going to need to pay him. Like, this summer, he has the ability to negotiate a, a contract extension. And, like, based on the pure points that he's put up, like, that number starts with a seven all day long. You think? 100%. As a
4: 38-point D-man, you think he's... he's- a
5: .55 points-per-game career defenseman. Wow. That's what I'm saying. That's the part that I'm not entirely understanding. This team as it's currently constructed is a hundred thousand dollars over the cap for next season. And they still need to add six players. So we want to judge and grade it like, like is, is natural to want to do, but there's so much more to happen this summer that what you're seeing now is going to be far off from what you see in the, in the fall. And the grade of this trade will ultimately depend on what happens with that renegotiation, how much he signs for, and or is he still there after the fact? I'm I'm still shocked. that You think he starts with a 7? I think you could make an argument that he starts with an 8. I don't think he gets that high. What? I think he's in the Morgan-Riley range. Holy cow. I'm all right. Um, Yeah i don't i just don't think people are paying attention to the market i don't think like especially with the cap going up it's going to be expensive i'm telling you right now yeah wow he's going to be a very wealthy man well
4: there he um he has one year left on his deal so if you're vancouver you don't like i
5: because some teams now you can't for a team that's retooling that cannot be not part of the consideration and equation so oh, if the, the Canucks are underestimating that or they're not getting it right or they're missing the boat on it, they've missed the boat on the trade then. By the way, the last year of his deal pays him 5-5. Five, five.
4: Yeah. But my point is, I think if he's in Vancouver, Frank, is he going to put up as many points playing with Hughes? He might put up more. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, but... Like Hughes is, I think Hughes has got like third most points since January amongst D men. Like he's really f- found his game. He's an elite scorer anyway, right? I think he's like a 0.85 um, points per game defenseman and he's younger. So um, I, mean, I like that trade. Like I think
5: points in 305 career games.
4: Yeah. Like I think Ronick's a good player, but I never thought seven. I was thinking he would get a deal that started with a six.
5: No, no, no. Telling you right now, write it down. Seven mil. At least. I'm telling you that is the that is the minimum minimum number, on a long term deal. Really, that's fascinating yep. to me. John Klingberg couldn't get that. Well, John Klingberg is a bunch of years older.
4: Yeah, but still, but still, in the last four years, more productive.
5: Okay, I'm just, yeah. just, um, he's John Klingberg is 30. He tried to get a contract at 29. Yeah. Philip Roenick's trying to get a contract at 25. Nah. He, uh... And he's not really more productive. He had one year that was much more productive, and that was a 67-point season. Every other year, it's been right in the Ronick range. 45, yeah, see, Rodick, 32, 36. Yeah. Like they're all, they're all
4: very comparable. Like Rodek's never been a double digit goal score as a D man. Like I just, he's if he gets seven, see. man, good for him, but I'll he's a, be, he's a facilitator. I will buy you a beer. I will, I will bet you my house. He's getting seven.
5: Bet you my house. And he signs this summer. I don't know that he signs this summer. I'm just telling you that's that's yeah. what that deal is going to look like. Yeah. Depends. Like, if the cap goes up
4: in two parts, I think I think there's a better chance. But if the cap stays flat this year, is only up a mil, might be. Well, a it doesn't bit matter
5: because he's the contract wouldn't kick in for another year anyway.
4: Yeah, but I mean, but then because if it goes up three mil this year and four the next year, that's seven. Whereas if it only goes up one this year
5: and five, then six. It would you know be I mean? one. Like, it would be one and eight because the revenues would go back to linked. You think it's going to go up that much? Well, oh, if there's out. only, if there's a minimal increase this summer, like another 1 million bucks, then it's guaranteed to relink back to revenues, which will put it up eight, 9 million bucks. Easy. Two what years about, so now. What about the Bali sports factor? Um, that impact you think at all? I mean, I, I do a bunch of work moonlighting there as uh, one of their national insiders. And I just, from everyone I've talked to, they seem to be pretty confident that this is a a pure debt restructuring effort and that payments aren't gonna be missed on paying out these regional deals. However, on a smaller scale, the issue with uh, Root Sports and AT&T Sports Network, it's the Kraken, Golden Knights and Penguins, their regional TV rights, those are actually like, they're no longer paying those deals starting March at the end of this month. Yeah. So, so that wanna... is actually like, that is a confirmed revenue hit March 31st. Those deals cease to exist and it's up to them to negotiate something new. So the Bally part TBD, it's possible that it has an impact. The route, an AT&T sports network, that is a guaranteed revenue impact short of these teams coming up with their own networks that they can sell basically direct sell advertising to, which I kind of think is where it's heading anyway. Don't you like, I think didn't the Oilers flirt with that a little bit when their TV deal was expiring with Rogers that they were like, hmm, well, the alternative here, as opposed to the duopoly between Bell and Rogers is to just start our own network. Why don't Austin, the flames start our own Alberta, Alberta regional sports network and just dominate it
4: yeah there's been talk about it for sure uh, quickly before we get to tie, so we talk about Frank the racer for, for the playoffs uh, in the wild card it's still awesome but don't look now but the New Jersey Devils and Carolina are in a huge like it's no longer Jersey and the Rangers That one's the, we know the Devils are second the Devils are only two points back at Carolina uh, with 20 games to go Carolina has one game in hand
5: that race for first place is suddenly uh, massive and uh, meanwhile and it the, uh, means this something goal- this year because oh, that the wild card is a huge drop off from what you would face in in third place. hundred percent. And uh, you look at the, uh, at the
4: Minnesota wild Frank and what that bill Guerin has done with all the cap restrictions and everything they find themselves. There's they've still so they state one, four in a row. They've, they're still fending off Colorado, you know, and suddenly Dallas is rolling and now they're seven points up. Like, you know, Colorado, both of us, I thought, Oh, eventually they'll get there, but you know, they've had a little hiccup here and those other teams are going away. Do you think Colorado has enough now to win the division or seven points too much to make up in 20 games?
5: Hmm. I just, they're one of those teams that can win 12 straight without blinking. That's the problem. So like, I'm not willing to count them out. It's just, every time you turn around and think they're going to figure it out health-wise, they just don't. Yeah.
4: And uh, right now, the only real race in the in the in the West for a playoff spot looks to be honestly Nashville more than because Calgary seven points back of Winnipeg. Nashville's you just read the, you just you just etched
5: their epitaph.
4: Yes. But they got six. They got three games in hand. The Preds do, which is shocking. I don't think they can catch him. So the race is really the Pacific division and seeding a little bit in the central who wins the does Vegas ultimately hold on and win that Pacific.
5: Well, I I picked the, the the Kings before the season started, so I'm going to stick with my bet. All right, and I uh, think they're going to be better, and I think they're I think they got the best goalie that was available. Yeah,
4: fair. Uh, speaking of goalies, the Edmonton Oilers, they got to run with Stuart Skinner for a while here. Jack Campbell, he's allowed 24 goals in his last five starts, Frank, so, and the team has scored. It? Yeah. And the team has scored 23. And by the way, he got pulled in one of those games, only faced 14 shots, allowed four goals. Like, it's got to be Stuart Skinner time in Edmonton because uh, they want to get home ice advantage. I'm sorry, Jack Campbell, you got to hope that he can somehow rediscover his game like he did in January after a brutal first few months of the season. But right now, it's got to be Skinner time in Edmonton because, and, you know, there's lots of goaltending questions in the Pacific. It's the most um, consistent aspect in that division is right now it's almost who can get a hot goalie uh, at the right time. And Stuart Skinner probably outside of when he had a baby, went to the all-star game, he had a little bit of a dip. He only played four games in a month. Other than that, he's been pretty consistent. If, if I'm Jay Woodcroft, I have no choice. I got to run him down the
5: stretch. All right. So I agree with you. Give me your order of finish in the Pacific.
4: Um, I think Vegas is still going to win. Um, Vegas... Edmonton LA Seattle's gonna finish in the wild card.
5: Vegas, Edmonton, LA, Seattle wild card. Did Vegas have a weird deadline? Like I, I thought the Barbashev acquisition was really good. But they also had a ton of cap space and it felt like they added a bunch of periphery players and not real impact players. Yeah, is that fair to say? Yeah, totally fair. Like, like, so L.A. basically broadcast to everyone. We think Jonathan Quick is a third goalie in the league right now.
4: And the team you're battling has him as a starter due to injuries now.
5: (laughs) Yeah, so they go out and trade for him, which is fine. Like, I'm all for teams making moves when they see fit. And maybe they see something his ability to battle and rebound is better. Sure. Okay. So they take that chance. Teddy Bluger, like, I I, I love the player. Like, let me be totally honest when I say that. Like, he's smart. He helps your team in a lot of different ways. But the guy has two goals this year. He's shooting 3.1% on the season. I got to get better, right? Well, maybe you could say that he's bound to get better, but his career high is nine.
4: Yeah. He's a depth
5: guy. Oh, but that's, this is, this, you just made my point for me. They added two depth players or three depth players, if you include quick and think he's a depth player. Yeah. For a team that had nine and a quarter million dollars in cap space. What did you do with it? It's like, it's the same question I asked of the abs. You had seven. What did you spend it on?
4: Dude, Frank, they were right. I had Vegas right near the top of my list. I was battling between them and Carolina as the two teams I thought who, who could have done way more and did it. So I, I just like I like
5: Barb like I like these players yeah. I like Barbashev I like Bluger I think Quick can battle but I'm not looking at Vegas and their odds and saying that they improve them in any way.
4: No, Edmonton was the team that filled their biggest void and improved the most in that division with that And yes. by the way, Nick Bukestad. Scored in his wow. first game. He's a he's a huge playing very well this year. He's bounced back after you know a tough year. Uh, I think Bukestad's a guy who costs you, uh, you know, like Kesselring, he, as you said, Frank. Yeah. You outlined it perfectly. Know, he's not there's no issue free, with anything. the
5: trade. It was for it was not for much. Yeah, but I, I I just think I think they tinkered with a lot, and I think it was unnecessary. Well, oh, see. I think they had to improve their five on five defensive play.
4: Having watched him for years, like that's, it's always the Achilles heel of that team. I just think always. he's
5: really slowed down.
4: Nah. that. No. Nope. Back home? Back home. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see where it goes. Let's bring in Ty Uremchuk on a Monday morning. Ty, how you doing?
0: I am doing great. I did not have an IV this weekend like Frank, but I still keep back and relaxed a little. <laughs> Had a little B12,
5: it? a little vitamin shot, a little cocktail. Have you ever done that in Vegas, Frank? I have not, but next time I go, and next or next time I go to this week, uh, this summer for the draft in Nashville, Tyler, I'm going to pre-schedule a few IVs for the morning at our hotel. How about that?
0: A little team DFO IV run in, in Nashville. A little, t- a little
5: team thing. DFO <laughs> bonding. Yeah.
0: I know my buddies
4: have done it, and they swear by it, but I've never done it. I'm There's not, nothing really that – it's not even – so I
5: didn't drink. I didn't have a sip of alcohol on Friday night after the deadline. There, nothing makes you feel as good as getting a bag. I'm telling you, I don't, even if it's just the simple saline solution, getting the bag in you, you feel like a million bucks after
0: Good, make it two. Gonna, make it gonna two. Gonna make I'm not driving. He's R- going to make a Jay Rose Hill joke, but I let it go. So. <laughs>
5: yeah.
0: All right. Uh, fill in the blank this week brought to you by our friends over at PointsBet Canada. I got three for you guys starting with the Calgary Flames. You just kind of outlined it, um, but the Calgary Flames have a blank percent chance at the playoffs, Frank. Five? Zero. 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 Just I, I just look at the their bet. faces
5: after Saturday night.
0: Yeah. Nah. Defeated. At, Defeated. Uh, Money Puck has them still at a 34% chance, but that is uh that is pretty low if you consider kind of how Money Puck does things. So not great for the Calgary Flames. Well, just
4: look at it this way, Ty. They got they've got to gain seven points on Winnipeg and they have 19 games. So let's say Winnipeg just goes 10 and 9. Right, nothing great. They go ten and nine. That's ninety four points. That means that the uh, um, the Flames, who by the way would have to finish with ninety five because they would lose the tiebreaker, so they need then set, that's that twenty eight points in nineteen games. So they got to go fourteen and five. Not happening.
0: Yep. When you put it that way, I guess it's uh, pretty well, slim. I was holding out for. Daryl Sutter said over
5: it. the weekend too. He goes, Well, "I still believe we can win twenty in a row." It's like that's. If that's what you're up against, that means it's not happening. You're telling everyone that it's not happening. We
0: should win 20 in a row. There's only 19 games left. What are you talking about? Uh, Second question I got for you guys. Uh, Tampa Bay had just a miserable weekend. Uh, John Cooper benching his stars against the Sabres was blank. Jason?
4: Uh, I I thought smart, right? They're, they're playing back-to-back the next day. Well, there they have a shot, 23-4, to four, right? Sometimes if you only send a message to your bottom tier guys, I, I think the message gets old. You, you've got so many uh, bullets in the chambers, a head coach. He knows these guys better than any of us. And he didn't single out one. He singles out three. They all sit on the bench together. He probably had a conversation with them. Okay, guys, you're resting. They're annoyed. I understand it. But it's easier to do a line in your three biggest guys and just say, you know what? Our best guys has got to be better. And if you actually look at their recent play, they haven't been great by their standards. So you're down 5-1. to one, The game's over. You're playing back-to-back the next day. I-, I think it was the right... If you're going to do it, that was the right time to do it.
5: What's the word I would use? Load management. Uh, fair.
0: Mm-hmm. Not so much a punishment, but management. I mean... The real crime is
5: getting whacked by the Hurricanes the next day after resting. Six, six zip is, oof. Telling you, man, everyone's like, oh, the Hurricanes should have done more, should have done more. Tell me why, tell me why they're not among the very best in the East. Tell me that they don't have as good a shot as anyone and didn't need to blow their brains out to do it.
0: Yeah, fair, man third one I got for you. Inspired by Travis Kelsey hosting SNL this weekend and this is going to be a question on Daily Face Off live today as well. Uh the NHL player that you'd most like to see host Saturday Night Live is blank. Frank who comes to mind? Well, after
5: Friday it would be Jay Rosehill. <laughs> um I would say um Maybe Max Domi? That dude just like oozes personality.
0: Okay, he'd
5: be funny. He need somebody who's witty and somebody who's not
4: afraid to to put themselves out there. A Domi, I think, is a is a, is a really good choice. Um, you know who I would like to see because I think he's got a really dry, funny sense of humor. You don't see it very often. Is Malkin? Man, I've seen some interviews with that guy. He just makes me laugh. He's got a real different a personality. Fan. But obviously, Brad Marchand would be the one he's- that I think. Yeah, would, that's a good. He one. would come up with some real witty lines, um, I, I, and he'd be comfortable. Like he'd make fun of himself, but he would also take a few shots when you got to take some shots at guys. So
0: it's not bad. Yeah, you talked about you need a guy who's comfortable doing it. I would love to see one of the big superstars. Like it'd be great if we could have something like uh, like Sidney Crosby doing that and showing a bit of personality. But uh, it doesn't seem like anything. we See, Matt Matthews. Stuff. I think
4: Austin Matthews is a guy who seems fairly comfortable doing that.
0: Yeah, that's actually a good one. One of the Kachuk brothers would be good as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's a well, it, I think Brady would actually be better.
4: He seems to be more, um, I think Matthew even said it, Brady's more of the, uh, like, real outlandish gregarious of the two. There.
0: All right, there you go. Those are your three questions. That's a wrap on this week's edition of Fill in the Blank, brought to you by PointsBet Canada. <laughs>
2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
4: Before we let go, Frank, did you happen to see, so Chris Rock, first time ever, his show, you could watch it live in concert, but also live on Netflix. I don't know if you saw his comedy hour or not. I didn't see it live, but I watched it last night and uh, it was quite good. Uh, I would just recommend anybody, if if you're waiting, because Rock has not talked anywhere about uh, the slap and uh, he got into it at the end of his bit. Watch it just for that. If you like comedy, like, are you
5: a big stand-up comedy guy, Frank? Uh, I'm not, but I did, like, I do like it. I just, I also saw Louis C.K., he got back in after being canceled and I saw he addressed his thing too which was like actually hilarious the way that he did. Oh, it. I haven't seen his, but uh, he, he yeah. was So yeah, I'm sure everyone can Google his thing, but he's like, you know what? He goes, it's really tough. He's a, everyone on earth has a thing. Like they have something that is like their thing and it's weird and whatever. He goes, it's really unfortunate when everyone knows your thing. And it's like, Oh my, he's like, Obama knew my thing. Like that. He's like that. I got canceled. Wow. <laughs>
4: Yeah. Thanks for that insight, CK. Of course. Yeah. Like, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. To his Chris, you Rocks have to one, address it though. No, no, you have to address it wholeheartedly. And, and rock addressed his, um, I thought he did it. Uh, um, you know, it, it became rather serious to end the show, but he had a few funny lines in there. No question. Um, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, Bill Burr though. He might be my favorite guy right now. God, Bill yeah.
5: We got to get he, him on the, we got to get him on the pod, man. Y- yes. He we he, did. He's, he said, dailyfaceoff.com is his favorite hockey website unprompted on his podcast. Yes. Well, I've been working don't... to get him. He's, he's in the middle of finishing up a movie right now. And after that, he has agreed to, to come on. Well, so, have him on the pod here for like a half
4: an hour, 40 minutes, Frank, it'll be unreal.
5: Yeah. So we're working on that. And, um, I, I did catch up on a little TV though. Like I said, I haven't even had time to watch anything outside of hockey. I, I, uh, caught up on white Lotus have you watched that oh yeah I like white Lotus yeah I'm already done season two okay so we're we got a couple episodes left of season two and um I you watched ever watch your your honor no Brian Cranston oh
4: yeah good? it's really good yeah oh it's good
5: I, I started watching the Netflix golf series full swing
4: yeah I watched one I, I watched two episodes and I was kind of like yeah didn't it didn't it didn't, uh, it didn't grab me
0: yeah, I just like the pressure of you golf. You got to get to the Joel Damon episode. That's the best one.
5: What
4: episode is that? Four. I I got into so yesterday. I, Can I, I just skip three? Ty? Could I just skip three and go to four?
0: Yeah, just find the Joel Damon one. Any guy okay. who's crushing white claws in between rounds and is like, ah, it's only the U.S. Open qualifier. That guy's all right in my books.
5: Dude, the Brooks kept one. I was like, ah. Eh. Not a well, I didn't like Brooks Kept to begin with. I was just and now gonna I'm say like, I do not like him anymore.
4: Yeah uh, the, uh, the 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 go Anything people thought about him was probably confirmed.
5: Was confirmed.
4: Yeah. Now Hashtag, which is you know what? It's a Maya Angelou, Frank. When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first
5: time. Hmm. Or or yeah. Uh, just never never think of them again. That's a, that's what I would do. <laughs> Frank, what jersey is that, by the way? I uh, got a little Vermont catamounts on. Oh.
4: Yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah. Catamounts. Classic name. Yeah. All right, Frankie. Have yourself a good week.
2: Thanks for listening to the DFO rundown with Sarah Volley and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from
3: to never miss an episode.
1: Planning for your next trip?
0: But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game and finally you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring will it be a barn burner in the first a shootout in the second or a nail biter in the third that's up to you to decide now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff for the daily winners you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team and for the big dogs those who can win an entire round it's straight